Good morning, friends, and Merry Christmas. Really is wonderful to have you joined with us together this Christmas morning. Uh, can I encourage you, if you haven't still got it open, to open up your Bibles to that second passage that was read to us just a moment ago from Luke chapter 1. We'll be coming back to have a glance at that together as we work through it this morning. Well, I wonder what you imagine it might look like for you to find yourself favoured by God. Uh, Indeed, to be highly favoured by God. What might it look like for someone to be highly favoured by the Most High? Now, perhaps it's even a little bit presumptuous to even ask that kind of question. Uh, As I was reflecting on this passage and writing this talk uh, earlier this week, uh, I looked up to see what the population of our planet currently is, and it came to around about 7 billion 900 million and almost 200,000. And I checked again this morning and that number had increased yet more to 7 billion, 9 million, 100 million, sorry, and almost 700,000. Who am I among such an overwhelmingly large number of people to imagine that God's favour might perhaps rest on me in any particular kind of way? Perhaps we find ourselves scoffing a little cynically at the very idea that God's favour might come to rest on any one particular person. And yet the Christmas accounts of Jesus' birth unsettles our weary cynicism by reminding us that God's favour has indeed come to rest, not only on some of those whom we'll discover and reflect on in today's passage, but on all those who hear this news and find their joy and peace in it. We'll find out this morning that God favours those who are on the fringes. God seeks fellowship with those who are on the fringes, and God proves faithful to those who are on the fringes. Let's have a look at that over the course of this morning. We'll begin with the passage that we started a little bit earlier with this morning, uh, Luke chapter 1. Let me read for us verses 26 to 30. Verse 26 of Luke chapter 1. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favoured. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary, you have found favour with God. Now Luke actually begins his whole account of Jesus' life a few paragraphs earlier by telling us that these events that are being described here took place during the time of King Herod of Judea. Now, Judea was a region that was situated at the outermost fringes of the Roman Empire, right on the edges of it. And our passage that we're looking at, that we're zeroing in on with Mary today, our passage locates this action even further out on the fringes, past the northern fringe of Judea itself, in the remote region called Galilee, and in a backwater town right at the fringes of Galilee called Nazareth. And here on the very fringes of the fringe, so to speak, of the Roman Empire, 
an angel appears to a virgin named Mary. Now, it would have been difficult to imagine someone more on the fringes of human history than someone such as Mary. Not only because she was a woman from this backwater town of Nazareth, but as a virgin, that is, as a betrothed young girl, as a yet unmarried young girl, she'd not even come of age yet. She'd not yet even taken her very first, very modest step into public adult society. Her daily existence was lived out on the fringes, geographically as well as socially. Little wonder Mary's distress, her unease, her discomfort at the angel's greeting. When you've only ever imagined yourself at the fringes, to have the spotlight suddenly cast upon you in such a dramatic way can only be unsettling and terrifying, can't it? Uh, As a kid, I was particularly shy. I would turn bright red whenever the attention, someone turned the attention of a group upon me unexpectedly. If I wasn't, you know, if I didn't have at least five minutes to work myself up to the fact that people were going to be looking at me, I'd go bright red. It was overwhelming to have the spotlight suddenly cast upon you. To so unexpectedly find yourself the focus of God's intimate attention, as Mary did, to find yourself addressed by the angel of the Lord himself, How does one personally even begin to process such a moment as that? How do you begin to even respond to a moment like that without fear of what such a momentous occasion might mean? And this certainly was unexpected, this event. There was nothing about Mary herself that could ever have led us to predict why God might have favoured her so highly. Just as there was nothing in the shepherds who were out on the the hills, in the fields on that night, that made them worthy of God's favour either. And yet you might recall that it was the flea-bitten shepherds that the angelic host had serenaded when they sang, glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace to those on whom God's favour rests. There was nothing about Mary that should have led her to be favoured, so highly. Nothing about the shepherds or those to whom they would go and share what they had witnessed that would lead us to imagine them to be so highly favoured by God. And in fact, Jesus' very first sermon he ever preached publicly was in that backwater town of Nazareth, a sermon in which he declared the year of God's favour had arrived. There was no one in the town of Nazareth who you would have thought would have deserved God's favour to rest upon them either. God often chooses to rest his favour upon those who are at the fringes, upon those with little reason to ever expect seeing the light of God's favour shown towards them. But what shape does God's favour actually take when it does land so unexpectedly upon someone like Mary, someone at the fringes? so to speak. Uh, Have a look with me at verse 31. We'll pick up uh, this morning's passage from verse 31 again. In answer to Mary's uh, fear and anxiety, the angel speaking, verse 31, you will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High. 
the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be? Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin. The angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come on you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you, so the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Apparently, if you pay much attention to carols or to Advent carols, carols and Christmas songs, apparently a partridge in a pear tree is a fitting gift by which to show your favour towards your true love. A little bit of a questionable thing, I'm not sure what I'd do with a partridge, especially if it's inside the house. Kind of sounds like a lot of Christmas chaos and mess to me. But an unexplained pregnancy... How is that the image of God's favour shown towards someone? How is an unexplained pregnancy the image or the vision of God's favour? At least on the surface of things, this favour, so-called, that God shows towards Mary, threatens to push her even further to the fringes than she already was. She's not only an unmarried virgin in a backwater town of Nazareth, she's now going to become an unmarried, pregnant virgin in a town like Nazareth on the very edges of the Roman Empire. Even for a man as righteous as Joseph, this unexplained pregnancy had left him considering how he might quietly call off his impending marriage to Mary. Doesn't sound exactly like the favoured life to me, does it? How exactly is God displaying His favour towards Mary in these events. In fact, a little bit later on in Luke's Gospel, a couple of chapters later, we discover that the birth and the events of Jesus' life are going to pierce Mary's own heart as well. She is going to share in the grief and the sorrow that will mark the life of her own son. Where's the favour in that? God hasn't favoured Mary by deepening her or giving her the deepest desires of her own heart, has he? God hasn't shown his favour towards Mary by elevating her in status and standing in any way that the rest of the world might have recognised or given recognition to in that moment. God has shown his favour by drawing Mary into fellowship with himself by giving her an intimate share in his plans and purposes for the world. She who stood unknown and unacknowledged at the furthest fringes of human power and influence was now overshadowed, enveloped by the intimacy and the power of God's presence with her. While the Roman Emperor, Caesar Augustus, continued to erect stone statues, imagining his glory at the heart of the Roman Empire, the human flesh of God the Son, of Jesus, of one whose kingdom would never end, was beginning to be knit together in the womb of an unmarried and otherwise unacknowledged girl. All of it, all of it hidden from view, to anyone, not even an ultrasound printout to reveal the glory of what God was doing in that moment. 
But God not only shows his favour to those who are on the furthest fringes, like Mary and the shepherds, God not only draws them into intimate fellowship of his wonderful saving plans and purposes, but God also proves himself faithful to those on the fringes through his word, through his promises. Have a look with me at our final little section. Verse 36. Verse 36. Partly in response to Mary's question about how these things could possibly be, the angel declares in verse 36, even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. And she who was said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month, for no word from God will ever fail. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word be to me, what may your word to me be fulfilled. And then the angel left her. Here the angel is drawing Mary's attention to the way that God has already proven himself faithful to Elizabeth, particularly by giving her a child, the one who was formerly unable to, be con- to conceive, has had God's faithfulness displayed to her in the provision of this child, the one who would be soon to be John the Baptist. But I don't think the angel's point to Mary at this moment is simply that God had pulled a miracle out of the bag for Elizabeth, and so he's going to be able to pull a miracle out of the bag for Mary also. I think Elizabeth's miraculous pregnancy brings another kind of comfort into this situation as well. See, Elizabeth's miraculous pregnancy wonderfully illustrates God's compassion towards the downtrodden, his compassion towards those who are on the fringes and often given no attention. Uh, Look at what Elizabeth said when she discovered that she'd be the mother, become a mother, despite being childless and in advanced years, advanced in years. Uh, These words come from Luke chapter 1, just a little bit before today's passage. This is Elizabeth's words on finding out that she was going to have a child. She said, the Lord has done this for me. In these days, he has shown his favour and taken away my disgrace amongst the people. For Elizabeth, God's miraculous provision of a child in her old age took away the disgrace that she felt in the eyes of others for having been childless. Now, let me be absolutely clear. Elizabeth's childlessness was no cause for shame or for despair in the slightest. In fact, the Bible speaks of Elizabeth as a profoundly righteous and godly woman, one whom God honoured greatly and esteemed greatly. And yet, Elizabeth did feel undeserved shame and reproach for her situation nonetheless. She had felt pushed to the margins and marginalised as a result. And God proved himself faithful. God was attentive to her, removing her undeserved shame or disgrace. Mary's miraculous child, though, was going to do something even more wonderful than Elizabeth's miraculous child. While Elizabeth's child removed her undeserved and unjust disgrace in the eyes of others, 
Mary's child, would ultimately display God's favour by removing the disgrace that we deservedly brought upon ourselves before God himself. Indeed, Luke's Gospel goes on to tell us that Elizabeth's child, John, would grow up to declare this, to be this. This is what he'd do. Uh, These words from a little bit later in John chapter 1, sorry, Luke chapter 1, we're told that John the Baptist would grow up to prepare the way for him, for Jesus, to give his people the knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins, because of the tender mercy of our God, by which the rising sun will come to us from heaven and to shine on those living in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the path of peace. And friends, that, of course, is the joy, the favour of Christmas, that God is tenderly attentive to all those who are on the fringes, especially those of us who are burdened by the disgrace of our own past sin or failures or shortcomings. For us, God has shown His favour by providing a son, a saviour, the Lord Jesus, one who would guide us out from the fringes of darkness, out from under the shadow of death, and into the path of God's peace. And friends, it's in the knowledge of the Lord Jesus, that one who bears our disgrace and our shame for us, that we can walk this Christmas day in the joy and the knowledge that we have had that disgrace taken away and borne by another. And so we can lift our voices in praise and thanks in the same way in which Mary did and Elizabeth did and those who witnessed these events that first Christmas. How about I pray and then we'll lift our voices in song together. Our dearest Father, we praise you that you would do the unthinkable and make your favour known to those on the furthest margins, those who are most often overlooked and unacknowledged. That the favour of your power and your presence reaches even to those corners of our globe that we would not even think to give our attention to. Father, we thank you that you have shown your favour this Christmas in the giving of your Son, who takes away all of our shame and our disgrace, bearing it upon himself, so that our own hearts and minds might be left free to rejoice and offer you the praise and glory that you so richly deserve. We ask that your your spirit might help us lift our spirits in praise of your name this Christmas. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.